Yeah, yeah, this is my palace. Champagne in my chalice. I got it all covered like a wedding band. Wonderland, right. so Welcome my back. Here we are again. You know who it is. We can't afford to not record. It's a deep cover podcast, only for the quarantine and sexy. Uh, I'm back with Chris and Carrie. Uh, Mike, we also have a special guest. Uh, who deserves his own separate introduction. So before I get to him, let me just touch base real quick with, uh, real quick with the guys. Uh, Carrie, how's it going, man? Going all right, man. Um, trying to hang in there. You know, um, the, you know, this barbershop situation is still kind of perplexing. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't understand how barbershops aren't um, essential. Um, but, you know, got to do what we got to do right now. Some Somebody made a miscalculation when they was putting together that list. Of essential and non-essential, somebody yeah. dropped. The ball. Yeah, they're gonna have to somebody come see me ball. when this is all over. <laughs> somebody dropped the ball. <laughs> yeah, about you, man, Chris. How 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 are you surviving this 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 uh you know no barbershop environment? Uh, well, actually, um, on Saturday I think it was I went into the bathroom and I cut my own hair for the first time. Oh, and, that's and I don't know how long I was I was so scared and. <laughs> Like after I was done, I was like, oh, I did a good job. And then like later on, I'm like feeling my hair and stuff. And I'm like, oh, boy. And it mm. was like I'm feeling like lumps. Mm. It was like um, I felt like like A.B. Remember when A.B. had that Tetris yeah. thing like in his head? Yeah. <laughs> I missed some spots. Yeah. So I was like, oh, damn. Luckily, I'm not going anywhere. So I, I, just, look, I just look dumb in my own house. Yeah, you're inside, you know, you're not out there in public. Nobody will will be the wiser. So that's that's if there's an upside at all to the no barbershop situation, that is it. If you have to cut your own hair and you jack it up, nobody will know but your family. So that's not too bad. Um, So let me let me introduce our special guest before we get into the meat of the show. Uh, This is a young man who you can find his work over at Russell Street Report. You can find him in the. Ravens draft Twitter streets or just Ravens Twitter streets in general. You can find him on the Ravens board, the Ravens forum streets. Uh, since we have an international audience, if you're in Canada, you might actually find him in the Canadian streets. It's Cole Jackson. Cole, how you doing, man? Good, boys. Thanks for finally uh, getting me on there. I'm glad we were able to do this. Um, things are going well. I've really learned uh have you guys ever noticed how unreasonable babies can be? And Chris, I think you can feel me on this one. <laughs> yeah, so, um, we, 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 I hear some trouble in the background right now with mine <laughs> as you say that. <laughs> so today I go upstairs. My daughter's playing in the uh, playing in the garbage. So naturally, take the garbage away, put it away in the shelf. What does she do? Start screaming at me. Like, in what world can you just play in the garbage? Like, it just there's no, no there's no logic with these children. <laughs> But no, see, as you can see, I'm I'm deep in my own thoughts nowadays with so much time on my hands. But overall, doing good. Glad to uh, glad we're gonna have an NFL draft coming because we're just running out of stuff to talk about. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I don't I don't like to take shots, but, you know, babies operate a little bit like the Cleveland Browns. There's no <laughs> coherent rhyme or reason to why they do what they do. And they just hope for the best. You know, you just make moves and and you hope you hope it all works out. Um, <laughs> so so but I'm glad to hear everybody's doing OK and uh, and staying safe and, and, you know, hanging in there. Obviously, it's a little bit like Groundhog Day uh, oftentimes with with, you know, the, the whole covid environment. But uh, we're all here. Uh, like yeah, I, I see I see you, you you on your grilling stuff this weekend, Mike. Oh, oh, man. Oh, yes, sir. Had, was- had, to, had to smoke them drumsticks, man. Had to get them out there. <laughs> You know what happened? So I'm sitting here and like most people, we're all inside a lot more. We're watching, you know, much more TV than maybe we normally watch or shows online, whatever. And I'm, I'm torturing myself with this barbecue pitmaster show. It's, oh. it's, it's absolute torture to sit there and watch them, you know, grill this delicious looking food. And I'm thinking to myself, well, I got a grill. Why don't I just? <laughs> and so sure enough, I decided to smoke some drumsticks. Uh, cool thing about smoking drumsticks is they don't take long. And this guy that I saw it doing, he had like this vertical rack where you like hang the drumsticks so they don't actually come in contact with the surface. So one side doesn't get burned or overcooked. But I didn't have one of those. So I made one. I made my own. <laughs> this is another benefit of being quarantined. You can just like get MacGyvery on stuff and just like make stuff up. Uh, so I did that. And uh, yeah, the smoke, you know, the cook went well. And, uh, you know, you can always tell that that things turn out good when you're sitting at the table and nobody's talking There's silence. And the food disappears very quickly. So that was my sign that, you know, they must have they must have turned out OK. But um, back to Cole, Cole's point, we got the draft. We got the draft to talk about. And something that we've been doing uh, the last couple of episodes is our little March Madness style uh, first round pick draft bracket for the Ravens. And we've got our final four tonight. And not only we're going to do the final four, obviously, we're going to get a championship matchup out of that. And we're going to do that as well. But to set the stage. On our final four, we've got Cesar Ruiz versus Xavier McKinney and Patrick Queen versus Denzel Mims. So this is what it's come down to in line uh, inside linebacker versus wide receiver center. I'm going to say slash guard because I think he can play guard, but center versus DB. I mean, McKinney does a little bit of everything. Played some safety, played some nickel, played some down linebacker in the box. It's a little bit of everything. We'll just go with DB. Um, so that's the stage. And so I'm going to go in reverse order. I know in the rundown we had Queen and Mims. I'm going to go Ruiz and McKinney to start with. And we've got our contestants. I believe, Chris, you're going to be making the case for Ruiz. And Cole, you're going to be making the case for McKinney. Like last week, we're going to introduce the time element. So both of you guys will have two minutes to make your case. I got to get my butt. I don't I don't Mm -hmm. have. You had you your buzzer was better than mine, Chris. I don't I don't remember which one that you had. I, I, I never uh, got to I never got to ring mine. But what what did you have? I had a, a reggae timer that I was supposed yeah. to be going up, but I don't know what the reggae timer sound like because I never got to, to never got to hit it. See, that was better than mine. I just had like the old school band. <laughs> <laughs> so uh we're gonna try that again. Uh I'm gonna keep that ready. Mm. Oh, there it is. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Just so everybody knows what that sounds like when you hear it, that means that your time is up and uh, it'll be either time for the other guy to go or time to go to the judges. So without any further ado, I'm going to pick 
since I'm the I'm the timekeeper here, we'll let the guests go first. You know, you, you want to be hospitable when you have guests in your home on your show. So we're going to let Cole go first with making the case for Xavier McKinney. I'm getting my timer ready. And then, Cole, you tell me when you're ready to go and I'll start time. Go, go. <laughs> All right. So Xavier McKinney. So listed as a safety um, I think you summarized it well. We're we're not just looking at a safety prospect here. We're looking at a DB can play some linebacker, and so most of what I'm thinking with McKinney, and this isn't a unique idea that I came up with. It's been through a lot of discussions with you, Michael. I'm all about positionless football nowadays, and when I'm looking at defensive needs right now, I'm looking more at what roles do we need to fill on the defense rather than what positional. Um, needs there are so when we look at the Ravens defense we've addressed the pass rush enough for me to be pretty confident going into the draft um, with the interior options so now I'm looking at we need a guy that can provide that kind of pass coverage in between the in between the numbers in between the hashes 5 15 yards and that's exactly where Xavier McKinney is going to bring that versatile skill set when you look at some of his uh, some of his numbers he's a little underwhelming you know we got a 6 foot guy 200 pounds 30 inch arms small hands only ran a 46 you look at his draft profile you're underwhelmed you turn that man's tape on you see him all over the field he's always near the ball High football IQ, reads the defense well, um, can play multiple positions, great instincts. You're gonna get a guy that he's just gonna he's just gonna be a football player. We're not gonna have too many gripes over over the position. He's gonna come in. He's gonna fill the exact role that we need filled. Um, he may have a lower snap count than some people would like to see from a first round pick, but again. It's more about those impact plays I see him making. Third down, he's that coverage guy. He's you know making tackles in space. He's able to come in and provide some run support. Um, even for a smaller ta- safety, he's damn good tackler. So that's what I think we're getting with Xavier McKinney. And there's the timer. Do you think I rehearsed that? That was bang on. <laughs> it was right at the two minute mark. It was right at the two minute mark. I, I mean, look, you know, you can you can tell when you're working with a professional. Um, all right, that's 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 a tough act to follow, Chris. But you you're a veteran of these matchup battles. <laughs> these rap battles. You're a veteran. You've been through the wars. So. Uh, you're going to be making the case for your guy, Ruiz. I have my timer ready. You tell me when to start. All right, I'm ready. All right, timer's going. All right, so Cesar Ruiz. Um, so for the Ravens, the the main concern for going forward and now should always be to protect Lamar and make sure the run game is on point. Right now, they have question marks with Skura coming back, and then we know Yonda will not be back. So there's going to be a spot or multiple, or maybe two spots available on the line. You're either going to have Makari at center or you're going to have Powers at guard. For me, I feel like it's time to actually, you know, put in a premium pick and, you know, kind of bump up the talent that we've, you know, been taking with these late round guys. And, you know, they've been working out, you know, with Bozeman. Uh, he's, you know, still progressing. You know, Skura came along slowly, but he made a lot of progress last year. I think it's time to actually get a guy that's, you know, coming in highly touted like Cesar Ruiz. 
what Ruiz brings, he's a guy that's very athletic. He's a personality fit from everything that you read online when it comes to Michigan, even back in high school. He was a, a, a leader on both teams, had high football IQ. He could play multiple positions on the line in Michigan. He played some guard early on in his career. Um, and like I said, the, he can play in multiple multiple schemes, too, because he last year he had to, to make a switch to a new scheme. So he's comfortable in multiple, you know, playing multiple roles. Um, he's a smooth, easy athlete. And when it comes to pulling like the Ravens like to do and get into the second level, that's something that he does at a really high level. Um, he does. He isn't a people mover, but he he is, you know, he does adequate when it comes to he, he's an adequate blocker when it comes to just like anchoring and getting his butt down. Um, another plus is that he'll only be 20 years old when the season starts. So he's one of the youngest players in this draft. So he hasn't even come close to his peak yet. All right. There's another one right in, right at the buzzer. Maybe a tick over if I'm being nitpicky, but pretty close, <laughs> pretty close, pretty close. So uh, just to refresh all the listeners. Uh, it takes two votes, two out of three to push a guy to the next. Uh, well, in this case, to the championship. And Carrie is going to be the judge, the deciding vote on this one. Obviously, we know how Cole and Chris are voting on their respective guys. But now, Carrie, uh, you get to make the case. Uh, no, you get to make the decision of which guy is going to the championship. All right, man. So this one is tough, man. Uh, Chris um, and Cole made compelling arguments. Um, you can see a clear fit with both of these guys. Um, looking at McKinney, again, uh, we've talked a ton about his versatility um, and his um, kind of experience in a sophisticated defense and how he would fit um, multiple roles, even though, you know, you're looking at it from a depth chart perspective and you think, oh, well, he's a backup here, backup there. But like we've talked about, it's about packages. It's not necessarily about just the depth chart. Um, Ruiz, the interesting thing to me about him um, is that he started his career at right guard um, and that's a spot where if you're looking at him, projecting him to the Ravens, um, you can stick him um, at center and he'd be a talent upgrade over Makari. But he also gives you the added insurance at right guard in case Powers isn't um, you know, ready to take over that job. Um, so this one is tough because I'm going to I'm going to pick the player that I don't think is good. Um, in this situation, I think McKinney is a better prospect, but Ruiz is, um, you know, a legitimate first round interior office alignment. And I think the swing in his vote for me is his ability to be an upgraded center and insurance at right guard. And the fact that he was only 20 and I didn't know that until Chris said something really swayed me. So I'm going with Ruiz. There it is. There it is. Hey, and this this is this is probably uh, something that that gets overlooked. People talk about uh, best player available. They talk about BPA. But how how often is it really truly BPA? Isn't it always BPA with just a little sprinkle of positional need in there? Right. I mean, because if you yeah. think about when when teams are picking and if you were to like completely, you know, purely pick the best player available, let's say you've got 
Patrick Mahomes, you've got Lamar, and you're on the on the clock, and maybe the best player available just in terms of pure grade is a QB. Those teams aren't going to take a QB in the first round. You know, we already know that. So, you know, I, I know, you know, people like to talk about BPA and, and, and it's fun to say BPA. Um, but it seems like there's always a little bit of sprinkle of positional need in there. Maybe a little bit more than sprinkle, uh, depending on the situation. So Cesar Ruiz makes it to the championship. And so now to find out who he will face, it'll be me taking on Kerry, who is. As we know, I have a long history of losing to carry. Lost to carry in DFS <laughs> <laughs> all season long. Lost to carry in DFS. Took my money. Remorse, remorselessly. No remorse. Uh, and then he's been beating me up in these these player matchups too, and and the time. So I'm really on a on a real L streak with carry. But maybe today will be the day. So uh, I'm going to be making the case for Denzel Mims. Carry's going to be making the case for Patrick Queen. Uh, I guess that means, Chris, you will take over the timekeeping roles and you get to get your reggae buzzer ready to roll. Yeah, let me get my reggae buzzer. Um, like all right. So. All right. So we have. Um, so Carrie has Patrick Queen. And Mike, you have Denzel Mims, right? That's it. Yeah. All right. So um, I'm going to say, Mike, you want to go first? Yeah, I'm good with that. All right. Uh, whenever you're ready, let me know. I'm ready to roll. All right. Boom. All right. Let's go. All right. So first, I want to I want to start by acknowledging how good of a player uh, Patrick Queen is. I think anybody that has watched LSU, even if you don't get into like, you know, grinding tape or whatever, but you just watch LSU on TV play. You see this guy, you see this number eight on defense in the middle of the defense, just flying around, making plays all over the place. So I don't want to, you know, discredit that in any kind of way. But think about the Ravens. How often did you see a true inside linebacker on the field for the Ravens last year? Think back to the beginning of the season. Remember those guys? Remember Peanut? Remember Kenny Young with the white outfit over there in Israel? Remember that? That guy didn't make it. (laughs) That guy got traded, right? And then Peanut, his role just continued to decrease as the season went on, so much so that they brought in Josh Bynes off his couch and LJ Fort, uh, who was, you know, parts unknown at that point. Both guys came in and played extremely well, but even they kind of took a back seat uh, when the Ravens got into some of their sub packages to Chuck Clark, Deshaun Elliott before he got hurt, Anthony Levine. So you really didn't see an inside linebacker on the on the on the field a whole lot for the Ravens. So all of that really kind of makes the case for Denzel Mims. You saw the combine. You know, he's fast. You know, he can jump right. Throw on the tape. You know that he can line up outside the numbers. If you don't get your hands on him at the line of scrimmage, he's going to run by you. If you do try to get your hands on him uh, at the line or even, you know, mid route, he can turn into a big dog on you and get physical, you know, at the catch point or get physical at the line. We've seen him catch those back shoulder balls. We've seen him elevate, make contested catches. Uh, Is he a linear athlete? Maybe a little a little stiff, (coughs) excuse me, in some of his movement. Yeah, there's a little bit of that to his game. But you know who else we heard that about? At wide receiver last year, DK Metcalf. What kind of year DK Metcalf had out there in Seattle? Wasn't too bad, was it? So obviously they're different body types. DK is a little bit bigger, probably a lot bigger. But if you're just talking about play style, a guy <laughs> actually got me. <laughs> 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 
that's so that's so much better. <laughs> point, though. I think subconsciously I was trying to go long so I could hear it. I was like, I need I need to hear this. I need to hear That's what this I was hoping for too. I was like, please stretch it out, please stretch it out. Mm. I, I needed to hear it. I need to hear it. So I, I'm already gonna lose on the time to carry, but it's all good. All right, Carrie. Um whenever you're ready, let me know. All right, I'm ready. All right. All right, Patrick Queen, um, another 20-year-old. Um, here's a instinctive, uh, physical guy, a uh, fluid guy in space. Um, talk about him being such a, uh excellent fit for the modern NFL offenses, having a guy that can go out there and, um, you know, get into the flat at times and, you know, maybe reroute receivers and, you know, check that detached tight end. Um, but what I liked about him was his um, ability to um, force himself on the field. And uh, once he did that in LSU, he became the leader of a defense that was full of, uh, you know, first and second and third round caliber um, players. Um, he does have issues with the way he attacks blocks. I would like to see him be a little bit more, um, you know, violent with his hands and do some of those things. But, I mean, he's 20 years old that, um, you know, the sky's the limit for him as far as um, that goes. Is If he cleans that up, he's definitely a three down might um, linebacker. And, um, you know, we've seen the platoon, but we also know that there's just not a lot of top tier talent at that position um, as well. And as much as I love the platoon and I'm, and I'm an advocate for it, uh, you have to have some talent mixed in with that, too. And so. Uh, you know, I think that's important going forward. Uh, looking at him just kind of juxtaposed to uh, Denzel Mims, I'm, I'm starting to try to get more focused on best fits when I'm looking at the Ravens and um, the receivers in this draft. And when you look at what the Ravens have now, you want to kind of build something that is friendly for uh, Miles Boykin and uh, Marquise Brown. Miles Boykin, I think we would agree his best receive, uh, best position is the X position. You know, that's where Denzel Mims is going to line up most often. Oh, both in there. Both in there. Hey, hey, well, we'll look. Uh, I, we, it's funny. We, we were talking, I was talking about this with Matt Wise, with, with Miles Boykin and Denzel Mims. And his thing is like, look, I'm not saying they're the exact same player, but their style is similar. And do you really need another one of those guys? And when you have two guys that are fighting over one spot, it's like I told Cole earlier today, two dogs, one bone. We're we going to see who comes out of it. You know, That's I right. love the competition element. I love the competition element. But, okay, we need to have a decision on which one of these guys go through. I think because, again, Cole is our guest. We want to be hospitable. I think we let Cole uh, be the judge of, of this matchup and, and cast the vote for which one of these guys goes to the championship. I agree because mainly because I'm too much of a coward to pick one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think uh, I think both cases very well made. Um, for me, it really comes down to again. I'm thinking about those roles that we need to fill. Um, I, I think the key point here is the way the Ravens can kind of get away f- or not get away get away with playing non-traditional guys. Um, in some of these roles. So for me, it's hard to justify the inside linebacker at a first round value when you can get, you know, another position with a little bit more of that positional value. So I don't want to go down that rabbit hole, but 
that really is the is the the biggest consideration for me. So with that, I'm gonna go with Denzel Mims, wide receiver. Finally, victory is mine after a long season of being <laughs> you know curb stomped <laughs> by Kerry in so many ways. Actually, I, I've probably been selling myself short a little bit. I think I've helped get Denzel Mims to the championship game, if I'm not mistaken. I think I, I have think you did. Stumping yeah, I think that was your win. <laughs> <laughs> we were, were right. matches you've had, Mims, I think. But this this may be where the dream ends, right? So we're <laughs> 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 now in the championship. So we matches. have an all offense final. All final, yeah, all offensive final, offensive guys. We got a wide receiver versus an offensive lineman who are the true skill guys. People talk about skill positions, wide receiver, running back. Everybody knows the offensive line are the true skill guys. Um, but here's what we're going to do. Since we've kind of made a lot of the points for these guys already in, in, in the Final Four matchup, I'm just going to go around to each one of you guys and get your thoughts on <coughs> excuse me, on, on fit and value or any other things uh, that that you you want to talk about that we haven't already hit on uh, during the earlier round and that's how we'll we'll decide and then again uh, I'll hit, I'll hit you both up well I'll do it at the same time as we're going around and, and you're making your points we'll get your vote at the end and again it'll take two votes to get the guy through so uh, I'm just gonna go alphabetical we got a bunch of C first names here so I'm just gonna go alphabetical this time uh, and we're gonna start with Carrie and so Carrie you can take Whichever order you want, Ruiz, Mims, Mims, Ruiz, what do you think? All right, so um, Ruiz, I made the argument for, and um, kind of a lot of the same stuff um, still stands. I, I love the fact that, um, you know, he could give you value at center or uh, right guard. Um, he's not the longest guy, but I think he's long enough and powerful enough to be able to play um, right guard at a um, high level. Like he's a mover, but he's a mover that has some power to him. I mean, he's not a bully in any means, but just giving you that flexibility and then being able to do so with being able to, you know, kind of pair that with, uh, I think, is a high ceiling as far as his actual play uh, is big for me. Uh, coming back to Mims, um, again, I love Mims, but I keep coming back to that fit and. I do think that him and Boykin could um, coexist. Um, but I think when you look at just the value of the um, position, just how much depth there is at the position, I think that you could, uh, you know, find some value later in the draft and also find a guy that's, that's you know, just as talented, but maybe a better fit uh, to work. In, in trio with uh, Boykin and um, and um, Hollywood Brown. So um, Ruiz would be my, my choice here. All right. That's one vote for Ruiz. Moving on, Chris, the floor is yours. All right. So I haven't, really, I haven't talked about Mims at all through this whole thing because I've either been going against him or I just wasn't in on that on that uh, conversation. But um, I do like what he brings to the table. He's a big Big body wide receiver. Um, he plays above the rim, uh, is able to run routes, and, you know, he runs them through contact. It doesn't bother him at all. And, and he has that vet savvy that you see at the top of his routes where where he'll get away with, you know, grabbing someone 
by their collar and just like tossing them the opposite way and then breaking off to the, the, the other location when it comes to running his routes and snapping them off. Um, but like I've been saying with Ruiz, I feel like that's more of a position of need when it comes to the Ravens. Um, like Kerry said, there's uh, a lot of wide receiver depth in this draft. And um, I've, I feel like Ruiz is a guy who can come in day one and be the center. You know, that's, you know, that's obviously assuming that Skura isn't back, uh, you know, still uh, rehabbing with his injury. Uh, but I feel like Ruiz is just a perfect fit play-wise, style-wise, and personality-wise. So that's two votes for Ruiz. So the dream is dead. But Cole, <laughs> I still want to hear your thoughts. Uh, if it if it has to be a clean sweep, get the brooms out. If that's what it has to be, then I I can I can respect that. But uh, let me let me get your thoughts on uh, Ruiz versus Mims. I hate to do it, but I got to bring that broom out, my guy. <laughs> do I, do now, I got the stereotype as the O line guy, so I'm sure this doesn't really surprise anybody. But uh, no, so here, here's I'm gonna just to add on to. Uh, uh, the great points already made. Uh, the big thing for me is, um, and MC, you know this from charting the run game specifically, the Ravens can come out one week and run 75% of their plays in power or gap concepts. And then they can come out the next week and run 75% of their plays in zone. So when we're looking at personnel that we're bringing in as offensive line guys, we really have an emphasis on versatility in terms of the plays that they're going to be running. Um, so that is where um, you get a lot of comments, you know, how many, and I, I looked into this this morning, there, you don't, you just don't see a lot of first round interior offensive line guys. So I think it's more valuable to the Ravens given we need that versatility and those versatile guys are usually the guys going the highest because they can run different concepts. They can fit, you know, multitude of schemes. So that is the big thing for Ruiz because I think he brings that combination of just enough power to be able to, you know, blow his guy off the line if the power's coming to his side. But if he's the power's going to the other side, he has the mobility to, to, to make that pull. And, uh, you know, I think we saw last year Bozeman had a, a couple really nice pulls on power rights, but I still would like to see more athleticism. Um, most of those he was – you know, meeting a guy in the gap, but in opportunities where he could have been going level two because the hole was clear, he's just not able to make those reach blocks. So even as a left guard in our scheme, I think there's a lot there. I think he, you know, he just fits three different positions, all of which we may be looking for new starters in if uh, um, if Skur is not back, all three are up for grabs. So that's uh, that's clean, clean sweep for Ruiz. There it is. The people have spoken. Ruiz is your champion. Uh he is the winner of our March Madness bracket. He started at the bottom. Now he's at the top. <laughs> I, I, just want, I want to know, I want, where do you lean, Mike? Uh, I actually lean towards Ruiz. So, <laughs> <laughs> so the while, CEO of uh, the Mims fan club is picking Ruiz. Yeah. <laughs> so while, while I, you know, obviously have, have uh, some pretty strong feelings about Mims. They're not super strong. That's That's probably... Not a, an accurate way to say it. I like him. I like him a lot as a player. I I think I mentioned uh, on Twitter when I was talking to Matt Wise that he grew on me more after the Senior Bowl because I think I'd only seen maybe two games on him before the Senior Bowl. 
And then when uh, Jim Nagy put out the one-on-ones of the DBs versus wide receivers from the senior bowl, and I watched all those, I said, well, look, this guy is showing me more variety in, in, in his ability to run routes than I saw at Baylor. You know, he was only running a handful of routes at Baylor. And so I was basing kind of my initial thoughts on that. I mean, that, that's all you had to go on. But then I see him running these other routes and winning in these different ways. And I'm like, well, maybe there's more here than meets the eye. So I went back and watched some more games. And even though he was still, you know, kind of limited to, to that route tree that they have there at Baylor, you could see, you know, just little glimpses of some of the things that you saw at the Super Bowl, some some of the, the physicality at the line, at the top of the routes. Um, obviously, you could see the speed. Uh, I, I think I tweeted out this one play where he he appears again. I don't know, but because, you know, you're trying to, like, glean things from watching tape. There's no audio, but it looks like he sees a corner blitz and he signals it out to his quarterback before the snap. And then he adjusts his route. Uh, this is a third down to third down in the red zone. So critical situation against Georgia. So, you know, he's not playing against any slouches uh, athletically. And, you know, they connect on that play. And then he scores on the next play with like a back shoulder fade in the end zone. So, you know, you start to see little glimpses of some of that that versatility uh, and ability to run a variety of routes. But you just you had to dig, you know, because if you only focused on those routes that he was running at Baylor, you'd say, hey, it looks pretty stiff. I don't see a whole lot. But within those routes, you could see little things. So that's probably that that's probably the biggest thing that that swayed me more towards him than where I initially started. But everything you guys said, uh, I'm in agreement with about Ruiz. The need is there. The ability with the player is there. Um, It it just it's such a such a natural fit that, you know, if it happens, uh, we can all pat ourselves on the back and say, told you so. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that why we're all here? (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Absolutely. You know, recognition, validation. You know, these are these are things that really is what what this podcast was started for. So and, and, and honestly, I feel like this is a pick that, you know, a sexy pick that everyone's going to love. Everybody loves all offensive line in the first round. Who who does it <laughs> with that? Don't get you excited and like calling up your friends and texting people. I don't know what will. Um, it will not be exciting. You're right about that. Um, but that's it. It's been a fun. It's been a fun time. We we did this over, I guess, three different pods. Uh, it was it was a fun uh, a fun project. We got another exciting project. I know I keep teasing it every episode. I'm still gonna tease it here. Maybe at the end we'll say a little bit more about it. But I'm gonna let that come from the horse's mouth if we decide to do that. Uh, the originator, the creator of the idea, uh, one Mr. Kerry Stevenson. So we'll we'll save that. Um, but now as we transition to some other topics in the podcast, the matchup. Uh, was a big thing, uh, but we've concluded it. So now let's let's really focus in and dial in on the draft a little bit. And one of the things that we wanted to talk about, and I'm going to kick this around to each of you, is draft storylines. And I guess um, you'll probably all talk about it in, in, in different ways. So I'll just throw it out. I mean, it's, it's the most obvious thing. The draft being uh, conducted remotely uh, for, I guess, the first time. I and mean, I don't know. It's been going on since 1936. So who knows? But I guess it's the first time ever where you, you're not going to have all of these personnel people, not only not in their own facilities, not even in the same rooms, um, you know, in, in their various locations. Scouts, you know, everybody's kind of going to be all over the place. So uh, it's going to be really different. So let me let me start with you, Chris. Um, you can you can touch on on that storyline or any other draft storylines um, that, that you want to talk about. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll touch on that. Um, I think the, the first thing that came to mind uh, when I heard about that, uh, where um you know, GMs and coaches and scouts will have to draft from their own homes. 
Um, I feel like, I mean, it, it's obviously not an ideal situation, but I think with the Ravens having the continuity that they've had throughout the years, I feel like they'll have a leg up, you know, against probably most organizations just because of the continuity that they have. And, and, you know, I mean, our general manager lives like around the corner from our head coach, you know, so it, it doesn't get much closer than that. So I, I feel like hopefully that shouldn't, shouldn't have too much of an effect on them compared to say like, the Browns, who's bringing in a whole new staff, a whole new GM, a whole new coaching staff, everything is brand new for them. So I feel like the Ravens have a leg up when it comes to to that situation. It's a good point. It's a good point. That experience and that continuity in in normal circumstances uh, is is advantageous. But it's got to be advantageous in, in these situ in these circumstances, which which are anything uh, but normal. Um, Cole, let me hit you on this. Uh, what do you think about that particular draft storyline or any other ones uh, that, that come across your mind? There's there's two big things that kind of stand out to me. So the first is when we're looking at logistics, one thing I thought about was the impact this might have on um, j- just on simple things that we see every year, like trades. Um, you know, it could be something as simple as, you know, Wi-Fi, phone lines getting filled up, which I know happens on the draft floor. Um, even when they're in the same building, but that just the same kind of atmosphere logistically, I think that's going to change things a lot. And just, um, you know, maybe we have a faulty fax machine somehow, you know, someone comes out of retirement, Elvis Doomerville's back on the Ravens. I don't know, but, uh, no, seriously, like I, I think those, I think those make a big impact, especially with these guys that have been doing this over and over again for years. Um, that, that sudden change is going to make a big impact. Um, we may not see it, but I do think it's going to make a difference. But the big thing um, when we're talking about the actual draft is the impact that um, some of these restrictions have had on the notice of small school players. So we're, we lost you know, pro days at some of the D2 schools. We lost uh, some of the regional scouting combines that have. And you know, it's one of the few opportunities for some of these small school kids to get um, to get their look and, you know, just to get the scouts to be like, you know, go watch my tape. Um, so that I think is going to have a big impact. I think we're going to have a really, and I mean, I don't mean we, the Ravens, I mean, the NFL is going to have a really strong UDFA class just from, from that. And I think you're going to see some studs come out of it, which I do think actually plays to the Ravens favor. We all know their record in finding UDFAs. Um, we all know their consistency in having one on the final through 53 roster, so I, I like that from our perspective, but I do feel for some of these kids that aren't going to get an honest shot just because of, you know, literally social distancing impacting them being able to do a workout. Yeah, that's that's really the the one of the, the big bummers for me about about this, uh, about the current circumstances is, is, like you said, guys who ordinarily would maybe pop up even more on a team's radar. It's not that anybody's off the radar per se, because I mean, all this work that these guys do in the fall over multiple years on all the players that, that, you know, make it to this particular class, but for a guy to go and really show out at his pro day or really show out at a workout or really show out in an interview session and, and really have people, you know, maybe make a stronger case for him in those draft rooms. Maybe you lose some of that. Uh, and that, that, that's definitely the, the point you were just making. So Carrie, let me, let me come to you lastly on this. Um, how do you, how do you feel that this uh, remote virtual 
almost similar like a fantasy football kind of draft uh, is going to go down or any other draft storylines you want to talk about. Yeah, I just had a quick thought on that. I mean, I think with this situation is going to be advantageous to the grinders. Um, you know, when I um, heard that this draft was going to be done completely remote, um, my first thought was um, Eric DaCosta saying that he was going to personally watch every player in this draft. And I just thought, like, wow, like to have the the leader of your franchise saying that he's going to watch every player, um, you know, it kind of speaks volumes um, from a, from the top down approach that, you know, this is a situation where a lot of guys have incomplete testing and, you know, there's going to be a lot of bets on the tape. You have to bet on the tape. And so for your leader to say, you know, he's going to watch every player, I think the Ravens are going to be um, very well prepared to be able to cash in and grab some of these guys that may have incomplete testing, uh, but the tape shows up uh, and, uh, you know, they'll be able to grab some values, um, you know, just from being prepared going in. And then kind of um, more bit picture, just thinking outside of the Ravens, uh, I'm looking at the Carolina Panthers. To me, they're really interesting. Um, the first six picks, I think there'll probably be a, a pick or two that's surprising. But I think we know for the most part, probably four of those picks. Um, to me, the draft gets truly interesting once you get to them at seven. Uh, to me, they pretty much have an em- uh, empty slate, uh, the freedom to kind of go in any direction that they want. Uh, we know Matt Rule and uh, some of the things he's done, um, you know, as far as building up his programs, how he values athleticism that could lean them to Isaiah Simmons. Um, Derek Brown has been mocked to them a lot on the defensive tackle, um, you know, four years on the inside. Uh, you don't hear people bring up offensive tackle with them, but, you know, clearly they're not sold on great little. Uh, they have. Um, Russell Okung as a um, kind of a stopgap option at left tackle, but I can see them declaring him as a building block, um, you know, declaring a left tackle as a building block kind of player uh, there at seven. You know, it's a strong tackle class at the top. And just overall, um, you can't you can never rule out a quarterback. They don't really have a franchise quarterback. They have Teddy Bridgewater. I think he's a good fit for that system, um, but we'll see just how much they um they view him, um, you know, positively, um, you know, we're, we're talking two years down the road. Uh, but I just love to see and always fascinated with um, regimes, um, regimes, new regimes making their um, their first, um, you know, picks. It tells a lot about, you know, where they feel about, um, you know, how they want to move going forward. So, you know, that first pick um, is going to be really interesting. I could also see them trading down, too. Uh, they have a lot of needs and, um, you know, I, they have a decent amount of picks, but, you know, he may want to put his stamp on it by, you know, getting nine or ten guys in his draft. So to me, them at seven is a very fascinating kind of early uh, uh, storyline to watch. Yeah, I agree. They're one of the, the more fascinating teams because they're, they're bringing in a whole new regime after being in the Super Bowl, like, what, five years ago and having the MVP quarterback. So it's it's a big change now going from Cam to Teddy and, you know, letting Greg Olson walk. It's, it's going to be a big change for them. It will be a big change. And that is from both of you guys. 
what they call in the business a professional segue. So that's going to take us right in to our next topic. Um, the only thing I'll add to that, I'll throw this in there. You guys kind of all touched on it. Um, not being able to get medicals on some of these guys. Um, that that's that's going to be interesting to see how that how that plays out in this too, because you hear stories about certain teams if they if they don't have a medical gra- a medical grade on a guy that they won't draft him. Um, so that that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. But speaking of that segue. Um, next thing we wanted to talk about was some prospect pairings. So this isn't specific to the Ravens. This, this, we're broadening out here. This is, this is any team, uh, you know, as it comes to the draft and, and a prospect who we think, uh, pairs up well with that particular team. So I, we, I think we got a good little rotation going, so I'm going to stick with that. So I'm coming back to you, Chris. Um, give me maybe a couple of prospect pairings that, uh, that, that you think are good, are good matchups. All right. So the first one I have is uh, one that it just it screams like obvious to me. And that's Zach Bond to the Patriots. Uh, Bond, we know he's a guy that's, you know, played uh, played the edge. Uh, he's played linebacker at the senior bowl. And he's just one of those one of those versatile guys that the, Ra- that the Ravens, that the Patriots can just, you know, mold into like, a pro bowler. As You know, we've seen them do it with. Jamie Collins, we've seen them do it with Dante Hightower. We've seen them do it with uh, Kyle Van Noy. And now with him gone, I feel like Bond can just slip right in and he can just, you know, take right, you know, take that role right over. And then the other one that I have is uh, Jalen Rager, who is a personal favorite of mine. Jalen Rager to the Packers. Um, I think putting him across from Devontae Adams, where he could just eat up the middle of the field while Devontae just, you know, destroys whatever perennial or pro corner that's on the other side. I, I just love that fit for him. And then yeah, the last is- one that I have, oh, my, my bad, the last one that I have is uh, Jordan Love to the 49ers. Now, I'm in the camp. I'm I'm a Jordan Love fan. Um, not a huge fan, but I'm a Jordan Love 2018 fan, not so much 2019. I think him and the Kyle Shanahan system for, you know, a year, I, I think they can really tap into his potential, and and you could see a a, a really good quarterback blossom uh, under that system. Well, in that scenario, you know who's not a Jordan Love fan? Jimmy Garoppolo. <laughs> <laughs> he's not going to be a fan of that at all. But he's also not the GM. So whether he's a fan of it or not, go pound sand, Jimmy G. Um, so now I'm going to go to Cole uh, and and get a couple of his prospect pairings. Yeah, so the big one that stood out to me, and ironically enough, he just won our bracket, but is uh, Cesar Ruiz, and I see that being a really nice fit with the Dallas Cowboys after losing Frederick uh, to retirement. Um, seemed kind of sudden to, to most of us that aren't you know following the Cowboys day-to-day, but um, there's quite a few Cowboys fans up in Canada. They didn't seem all too shocked just with Frederick's... Uh, medical history so it was the best best move for his career but uh you know they have a big need at, at center there they they run a lot of a lot of zone they like their big powerful offensive linemen they like to invest in offensive linemen which is how they built that force with frederick martin um left tackles escaping me um 
you know, one of the best left tackles in the game. I can't think of his name. That's embarrassing. Tyron anyway, um, there yeah. it is, Tyrone Smith. <laughs> um, so I, I just see Ruiz being a, a real good fit there. His athleticism um, from the center position would be a perfect fit in the type of uh, type of scheme they run, and I think it's essential to have a good center um, uh, holding holding down the fort there. A second guy that comes to mind is Daryl Taylor. I see that being a really nice fit with the Tennessee Titans. I know they just signed Vic Beasley as an outside linebacker, but after, you know, watching them quite a bit uh, in prep for the the playoff game, I think he, he'd bring a lot that uh, the Dean Pease would like to use there. Um, or wait, Dean Pease retired, didn't he? Again. Regardless, Indeed. regardless. Same, same, same type of... This is, this is going well, boys. <laughs> um... Regardless, still really good fit with uh, with the type of edge setters they like there with some pass rush upside, um, and I think he's a much better player than uh, you're gonna get with uh, with Vic Beasley. Yeah, I, I like that call a lot with Taylor. Um, yeah, I like that fit, particularly with a guy like Mike Vrabel. I, I think Vrabel to me just as an outsider. Again, I don't I don't follow the Titans on a on a day in and day out basis either. But like you, I, I kind of tried to get to know them uh in preparation for the Ravens playoff game. He just seems like a guy who who's gonna get the best out of guys, you know, particularly on defense. He he he's been that guy. He's been a guy who wasn't like and I'm not saying this about Taylor because I think he is talented, but I think Vabral was a guy who maybe was a little more unheralded, didn't necessarily, you know, stand out in any one particular area but could do a lot of little things well and was a gym rat, was a film rat, you know, was just going to be totally dialed in to the process and to preparation. And I think guys buy into that. I think you see that there in Tennessee. I think guys have bought into that culture that, look, if we, you know, are totally bought into to what this coach is, is, is selling, we can go out and beat anybody. We can play with anybody. And uh, unfortunately for me, <laughs> Davis fans, they did go out. And beat some good teams, particularly the Ravens. So, uh, but that's 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 water under the bridge. We're moving on. 2020 season. Uh, so, Carrie, let me hit you up as we 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 close out this little discussion on uh, prospect pairings. Who you got? All right. So I got a few. So I'm gonna try to brainstorm quick. Uh, so I got Grant Delpit to the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, with him, I feel like the Cardinals need a center fielder uh, to kind of allow Buda Baker to roam. Uh, they're building, a, trying to build an offense out there that, that's explosive and that can put up points. Well, the best compliment to that is a guy on the other end, a playmaker that can come and take the ball away. And I think that's what uh, Delpit could do for them. Um, another guy, um, John Hightower, um, I'm pairing him with the Chicago Bears. Uh, the Bears released Taylor Gabriel, um, but didn't replace him with a vertical um, receiver as of yet. Uh, the problem with them is they have... Uh, two second round picks, but no third and no fourth. And they have other needs that are higher up on the uh, needs list. So I'm going to put Hightower with them, a vertical receiver um, that can, uh, you know, give them that ability to stretch the field. And he's a guy that they can probably get in the fifth round. Um, Another one. uh, This is kind of close to us because we just finished watching tape on Derek Wolf. Uh, with the Broncos last year and saw all the stunting and twisting and some of the things they did with their defensive line. So I'm going to give them uh, uh, Ross Blacklock, you know, give them a, a twitchy guy that's, um, you know, explosive and uh, comfortable moving laterally. I think that's a, a good fit there. Um, then I'm going to go uh, Trevon Diggs, a uh, corner. I'm going to put him with the Falcons. Uh, he's a long, 
um, you know, zone corner with some ball skills. Um, and that's something that they really need out there in Atlanta, uh, letting go true fine. They really only have uh, Isaiah Oliver, who they can kind of count on, um, you know, out there on the corner. And um, even that is kind of questionable. And then lastly, I'm going to go to um, uh, a Ravens fit Well, two Ravens fits um, and looking at receivers. As I've been kind of going along, uh, I, I stopped kind of looking at, you know, the talent necessarily for the receiver positions and started looking at the fits. And I, I kind of took three things that I thought that the Ravens um, could most use as it pertains to receiver and complementing um, um, Hollywood Brown and uh, Miles Boykin. And the first is just a guy that's versatile in alignment. Um, I think Boykin's best um, position is going to be the X position. You know, I would love for him to um, to not be blocked there and not have to move around, you know, so much, even though he has the, you know, the ability to do that athletically. I would I think the X is going to be his best position uh, for Hollywood Brown. He's a Z and a, and a slot. I would like him to be able to. Uh, you know, move around both of those slots and create uh, mismatches and not be locked into, you know, one of those roles. So uh, that's one thing, versatile in alignment. I think they need a guy that can make tough catches inside the numbers. And I think they need a, a guy that can um, bring them some yards after the catch. Um, so when I looked at that and I looked at the receivers available in this draft, I, I came to both of the Jeffersons, uh, Justin Jefferson and Van Jefferson. I, I think these are two guys that, that fit all of those criterias and uh, they would be a excellent pairing uh, with Hollywood Brown and Miles Boykin, uh, you know, assuming Miles Boykin can reach his potential. And I think if he can't, they offer some things that they can kind of uh, fill in um, for those spots where where uh, Miles Boykin lacks. I love it. I love it. Let's get it. We are moving on up the Jeffersons, baby. Both of them. <laughs> or either one. It doesn't matter. Let's finally get our piece of the pie. Let's get one of those dudes and uh, really turn this wiring, this wire receiving core into something special. So uh, I like that. I like that call uh, a lot. Um, I'm going to flip the rundown a little bit because I want to I want to save a little bit more time at the end for um, one of these topics because it's kind of more of a philosophical thing and and, and it might lend itself to a, a little bit longer time. So uh, I'm going to go with our late round darlings uh, right now. So uh, we're going to start right back at the top with you, Chris. This could be, uh, you know, players just later in the draft, maybe even UDFA, you know, it's it's, it's just guys who. Uh, you know, we spend so much time talking about first round guys. And then as we get closer to the draft, sometimes you hear a little bit of talk about second, maybe even third round. But now we're talking about I don't know, fifth, sixth, seventh, UDFA. Who who a couple late round guys that you like? Uh, so I'm, I'm going to keep it nice and short. I don't want to take too much time up with these. So uh, my first guy is a interior offensive lineman who played right guard uh, for the Raging Cajuns is Kevin Dotson. Uh, he played next to a, a, a guy that I'm really high on, uh, Robert Hunt. Uh, he was a three-year starter there, AP All-American. Somehow wasn't good enough to get a combine invite. I don't know how that happens. But um, he, he's one of those big road grader kind of guys. Uh, has some pulling ability. Um, he, he comes from a really, really athletic family. I have two uncles that played in the NFL. 
dad played college ball, mom ran track. So there, there's some, you know, some athletic genetics there when it comes to, but he just wasn't able to show it at the, uh, at the combine, unfortunately. Um, another guy that I like that I've been talking about for a while now is, uh, my guy, Derek Tuska out of, um, North Dakota state. Uh, he's a defensive end, uh, 6'5", 245 pounds. Uh, he, he's a, li- a little bit light, but, um, he plays with his hair on fire, man. He's, he was a conference player of the year, had uh, 13 and a half sacks last season, uh, plays with a nonstop motor. Uh, he's wildly athletic uh, for a guy that, you know, isn't coming from a, a major top tier program. Uh, showed out at the Shrine Bowl practices against uh, better competition. And uh, right now, I just I feel like he's a lump of clay right now that could that could be molded into a really, really good player down the road. Uh, another guy, the last guy I'm going to talk about. Uh, is an interior defensive lineman, uh, Garrett Marino, uh, from the University of UBA, uh, Blazers, back at back at it in college again. Um, he's a uh, he's a little bit undersized. Um, he's six one, two eighty eight, but he's a, a physical freak. Uh, he was one of the UBA was one of the schools that was actually able to have a pro day before all of this COVID nineteen stuff went down, and uh, he put up forty one reps at, at his pro day. Uh, which was three off from the highest uh, at the combine, and he ran a uh, four four point eight nine forty at his pro day, and uh, basically those numbers translate on the field because he plays with power, he he plays with speed. He's a guy that's just gonna want to get into that gap and just go upfield right away. Uh, I feel like a lot of Ravens fans will really like him because he plays with a mean streak that it sometimes gets him in trouble, and uh, it's kind of. It kind of reminds me of a, a Ryan Jensen just on the defensive side of the ball because he likes to get under guy's skin. And, and you can see that he if he doesn't make it in football, he can definitely make it in pro wrestling with his personality. I got a I got a chance to watch one game on him and he reminded me of you see those things on TV sometimes like old timey circuses, like the guy they put in the cannon and shoot him out of the cannon. <laughs> That's what he looks like. He just he just comes off the ball, just comes flying upfield. Uh, and it's almost like I'm I'm going to do everything else on the way to the quarterback. Primary goal is to get to the quarterback. Anything else that's happening, I'll deal with that on the way. But job one is to get upfield and get to the quarterback. So uh, he was a pretty fun guy to watch. Um, Cole, let me go to you now uh, on uh, a couple of your late round guys that you like. Yeah, I'm going to stick to what I know, and apparently that's not reciting uh, guys on other teams' um, names (laughs) or their coaching staff. Um, So first up, um, I am sticking with offensive linemen. Um, First guy's an interior prospect. He played mostly right guard at Dartmouth College, Zach Sammartino. Name may be familiar because he's actually the uh, great-nephew of Bruno Sammartino, famous uh, WWF wrestler. So there's a fun fact for all you kids at home. Um, so Sammartino, big, powerful kid, 6'4", 315. Um, he, he's a little bit older. He's a fifth-year player. Um, I think he got an uh, extra year of eligibility from uh, from an injury he suffered uh, earlier in his career. But he uh, he he got to do all of his measurements Um at a regional com- combine, and he actually would have had the highest relative athletic score or RAS of all offensive linemen that were at the combine. So he, he had um, uh, 31 inch vert jump. He had 
um, 8-11 board jump, 7.33 cone. Like, that's elite agility for an offensive lineman. He did only have a 5-2-7 40-yard dash, but at a size, that's pretty impressive. Um, and then he comes in with, with good length. He's got 33-inch uh, arms, which is good on the inside. 315 is the right weight. Um, when you look at his film, which I just did a write-up on, on him, he is an absolute animal. If he gets his hands on you, he's driving you home. He really is good at IDing the uh, um, uh, the the defensive line and figuring out what his assignment is on each play. He's smart. He knows where the ball's going. He does his way to work himself towards the shoulder before getting into that drop block. Um, he does come with a few weaknesses. He's got some pretty slow foot speed. He relies on a really vicious punch if uh, if he's if he's losing. Uh, losing ground against the guy. So it worked against some of these small school defensive linemen. It's going to be really hard to, you know, be hitting some of the top, uh, top guys in the NFL with that punch and getting the same results, but uh, something that he can definitely work on. Um, so he's my first guy. Um, I see him being like, you know, a seventh rounder, or even a priority UDFA guy. Um, and then uh, we have Alex Taylor tackle out of South Carolina state. Um, a massive man, six foot eight, 308 pounds, uh, 36 inch arms. Uh, but for his size, that man can move 509, uh, 40 at the, at the combine and he gets out and he gets moving people in space. Uh, it's really impressive. I think, uh, again, we're looking at a late round guy, someone that you're going to have to really work on some of his functional strength. He's going to need a year or two in an NFL weight room, but what's most impressive about him, uh, and I do get worried about some of these guys that come in at six foot eight, just because uh, I, I get a kick when I read about their pad level. Like he's six foot eight, of course he's gonna have a high pad level. He's taller than everybody, but he does have really good bend for a man that size. Um, you know, he's not one of those tall guys that can't get low, so he's naturally gonna be a little bit higher, but he's still sitting down and dropping his anchor through his hips, which is uh, which is what you want to see. So. He does need to develop a little bit of power, but I think he's got the bend right now to be able to do so, and he's just got a really good frame to uh, to mold for, for some of these coaches. So those are two guys that I got my eyes on, either as late guys or um, you know priority free agents uh, once the UDFAs kick off. That's a good and list, Cole. It, it is a good list, and, and one thing about um, – later round offensive lineman we've seen in Joe Delisandres' time as the Ravens offensive line coach, he can develop guys. You know, you give him some guys with some ability, with the right kind of attitude and, you know, who are willing to work at getting better. And he can develop those guys, not, not into just contributors, but into starting, you know, offensive linemen. And you've seen it year in and year out where they give him undrafted guys, they give him late round guys, and he just consistently helps these guys develop into to to good players. Um, so I have a lot of confidence uh, when they bring in uh, offensive linemen at any at any level, but you know, at any point in the draft, but but particularly when they bring them in even later round. I don't think those are just throwaway picks. You know, I, I I'm confident in Joe D. I like I like the Sam uh, the San Martino uh, bloodlines. Uh, you probably have to be an older guy like me to maybe remember his uncle wrestling <laughs> in the WWE. But I remember uh, the the nicknames, the world's strongest man, the living legend. And uh, his move was the bear hug. He'd get guys in the bear hug and just like squeeze the hell out of them. I think um, he was champ for like 10 years, too. Yeah. And he was like a, apparently he was like a, a legit like 
power lifter. Uh, like when he, he called himself the world's strongest man, I think at one one point he did like actually hold like for the, 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 the most weight on, on a bench press or something like that. I remember what it was, but usually did. He, he held like a world record on something. Uh, but anyway, we're talking and, about his nephew now, his great nephew, not him. Uh, <laughs> go ahead, Chris. And I wondered, uh, Cole, in your opinion, are both of those guys left, uh, tackles only or do you think they have the versatility to kick inside as well? I think Taylor's going to be a tackle only just from uh, just from his height. I mean, sometimes it's hard to kick those six, eight guys inside. Mm-hmm. Um, so I see him as a tackle for sure, especially given his frame right now is really light. So he's he's long and he's tall, but he he, he almost he, he, he's actually a former basketball player and he looks like a basketball player in pads. So that's where I think he's really going to need those development. I'd be terrified to be putting him inside. San Martino, um, he did have some experience at center as well, but he looks like a pure interior offensive lineman to me. So if you kind of get both, you're getting one guy that's going to compete at the two. I, I think at the two guard spots, more of a fit at right guard and, and what we need in our scheme. Um, and then Taylor actually played right tackle for South Carolina State, or at least in the games that I watched. Um, but I do think he has some left tackle appeal, and I think there's a little bit uh, a little bit to be desired there with uh, us losing Greg Sanat when we put him on uh, when we put him on practice squad, and he got poached by the Chiefs. World champions. Maybe? Yep. Uh, oh, I got one right, boys. There we go. <laughs> The kid's back. <laughs> you telling me Greg's and not got a ring? Yeah. <laughs> <Mother>. <laughs> Sizzle got one. Greg's and not got one. Hey, that's 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 the way the ball bounces. Good for them though, man. Good for them. Uh, so let let's let's wrap up our late round, darlings. I don't think I've come to you yet, Gary. Right? We need to get yours. Yeah, I got a few for you. So um, I got three. Um, my first one is Jeff Thomas, a receiver from Miami, uh, 5'9", 170 pound um, guy, uh, 4'4", 5'40", 36 and a half inch vert. Um, he's a seam stretching type of slot receiver to me. But um, what kind of makes him most interesting is um, when you watch him on the line, he gets off the line with uh, quick acceleration um, and, and, you know, good feet and uh, shifty um, feet. So I think that he has. You know, with that and that, um, you know, that vert, I think he has um, some potential to, you know, maybe be a guy that can um, be an outside receiver that sh- can stretch the field some. Um, I think he's sneaky at the catch point, and I also um, like his ability to add value in a return game. I think he's a guy that you can probably get in the late fifth, um, early sixth round range. And uh, he can come in and be a, you know, fifth receiver for you and uh, give uh, De'Anthony Thomas some uh, competition in that return game. Uh, My second guy is actually a guy that um, um, Cole wrote up, um, Josiah DeGura. Um, I hope I'm saying that right. But he's probably more in the fifth round range, but he's an H-back type. um, Just feels like a a player that would be just a perfect fit for, um, for Greg Roman's uh, uh, scheme. He just feels like a Greg Roman player. Uh, He kind of gave me vibes of like um, Delaney Walker when um, he was with San Francisco with Roman, Uh, that kind of player lines up all across the field. Kind of short, lower center of uh, of gravity, uh, not necessarily imposing um, physically, but strong and he will compete in, in the run game. Like the guy really gets after it. Um, he's not 
explosive per se, but I think he's a good athlete uh, for the position. And I think he's a guy that, you know, if if you run into shoddy tackling, he can p- kind of pick up some uh, some chunk gains. So I think he's like a, a nice fit, a nice in between um, for uh, Mark Andrews and uh, Nick Boyle. And then my last guy, I'm going to give you all a disclaimer first. He ran four seven and he had a twenty nine uh, inch vert. And that's a receiver out of Tennessee, uh, Jawan Jennings. And I know those two things is enough to make you want to just stop listening. Um, but when you turn him on, the guy just keeps getting open. Uh, he's super tough. He's a super like coordinated athlete uh, in the open field. Uh, he's strong, man. Guys just bounce off of him. Um, he know, knows how to make people miss. Again, like I said, he's a coordinated guy in the open field. Uh, nice, solid hands. Um, I know the Anquan Bolden comp gets thrown out a lot for like slow guys, but this guy, like he kind of, he, he really fits the bill. He's a big, strong, put together guy who just knows how to get open. And, uh, again, like I said, he, he, he fights and, um, you know, make plays in the open field. And I think he's a, a nice guy to fit in the slot or I think he can play some Z and he's another guy. Because he's four seven speed and twenty nine inch vert, I think that's going to drop him. You know, probably in the late fifth, early sixth round range. But I think he's a guy that that's going to help somebody team and uh, you know, um, you know, make some plays. Well, he's a Matt Waldman favorite, I believe. So, oh, is he? Yeah, I think he is. So you're 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 good. You're in good company uh, on that, and then also in good company with Daguerre because I know Cole is a big fan of Mr. Daguerre. Loved his tape. Loved his tape. Yeah, he's good, man. Yeah, and and like you said, that H back role, that 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 versatile guy who can do a little bit of everything, a little bit of fullback, a little bit of tight end, uh, you know, blocking tight end, pass catching tight end, uh, you know, that's a that's a really uh, important role in this Greg Roman offense. So you know, if you can find a guy who can do all of those things well, he's gonna get on the field. And, you know, he's 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 going to see playing time. So uh, I'd, I'd be a big fan of that happening, too. So um, before we close out the show, we got one more topic. And this is the one that I kind of bumped to the end. because It's a little bit of a, of a philosophical kind of discussion. Right. I mean, there's, there's no there's no right or wrong answer uh, to, I think, what we're going to talk about. But um, Chris kind of kind of really, you know, framed this for me and, and, and mentioned mentioned it. And I said, hey, you know. I like it. It's, it's a really interesting discussion. And he said, hey, let's put it on the rundown. So so here it is. So we want to talk about um, first round picks, first round picks in the draft and this expectation. Wherever it won't, wherever you want to say it comes from, whether it's from fan bases, whether it's from teams, but this expectation that they need. I'm, I'm doing air quotes. You can't see me right now. We haven't we were the video pod is coming. They need <laughs> to be starters. Right. And then I, I guess I could even put air quotes around starters because that's another part of this discussion, too. You know, sometimes a guy who starts a game uh, ends up playing fewer snaps than the guy that comes in in part of the rotation. So, you know, there, there's there's uh, something to unpack there, too. But, uh, Chris, since you really framed this uh, for me, let me start with you. What, what, what do you think about this uh, this idea of, you know, first round picks needing to be starters and, and the idea of starters now in, in the 2020 NFL? Uh, so I think it, I think it definitely comes from uh, from fans. Um, I think the term starter is just 
I think there's too much of an emphasis on that word because uh, like you alluded to, uh, you know, coming into this segment, you said that, you know, just because a guy, you know, is technically the starter, that doesn't mean that the guy that's coming in for him isn't going to play more snaps. You know, we've seen that. Um, I think it was Brandon Carr who was technically the starter, but then you would have Marlon Humphrey coming in off the bench. And I think that was the year that Marlon Humphrey won defensive MVP. I think it was the 2018 season, I believe that was. And so it's 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 strange where everybody gets so hung up on these on the label as a starter or a starter. Just because a player isn't a starter doesn't mean that, you know, they're a scrub or, you know, they're bench riders. No, they, they could be playing, you know, half the, the team snaps. It just that because they don't have that label as a, a starter, it's it's kind of poo-pooed uh, if you if you spend a first round pick on somebody who's not dominating the snap counts. And Cole, let me let me kick this one to you then, because I think this ties into um, something you mentioned earlier is this notion of positionless football. It really kind of relates to that, right, because you're thinking about roles that a player can fill within your defense. And sometimes that role shows up in a certain package. And sometimes that's dictated by what the offense is doing. And maybe when the offense started the game, you know, just depending on how the game flows, score and and, and other factors, um, that role wasn't as prevalent. But then as the game goes on and things change, the role becomes more prevalent. So now that guy wasn't a starter, but he's on the field more. Yeah, exactly. And I think this came up when I was talking, uh, like we all know our starting interior defensive line is going to be Campbell, uh, Wolf and Brandon Williams, but when like I'm still looking at you know maybe the best player available at a position of need type move is someone like Russ Blacklock, Neville Block or Gallimore, those type guys. So and you 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 look at that on the surface and you're like, well, I mean he's not going to start. We got these other three guys, but um, I remember MCU saying something like this. Um, you know it's it's not only just about the snap count; it's about impact on big snaps. So. You know, maybe maybe I got Russ Blacklock only playing third down. Maybe he goes out every third down and, you know, he's getting me a pressure to a game, you know, a sack or two. Um, you know, even though he doesn't have the start, doesn't mean he didn't make a significant impact on the game in critical situations. And I think that that is a really key thing. I also think you got to look, if we look at 2019 Ravens stats, Nick Boyle had 15 starts. Mark Andrew had four starts. Who was our better tight end? Like, I mean, let's be real here. So I agree, not necessarily, um, you know, and Mark Andrews didn't even play a high snap count, but he played a really, really important role, the probably the most important pass-catching role in the offense, but he didn't need to do it over, you know, 80% snaps. So for me, it's about guys that are going to contribute not only in those roles, but also on critical situations. So even if we, you know, draft an AJ Epineza 28 and he's not your starting edge player, it's Jalen Ferguson, but he's coming on and in the sub packages and being that, you know, hand in the dirt defensive lineman that's going to go get out to the quarterback. There's still a hell of a lot of value in taking that guy at 28. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's almost like, and I'm, I'm, you know, getting out of my depth here because I'm not a huge baseball fan, but I see like an I see like an analogy to baseball where you have these middle relievers or you have these setup guys, and to your point, they come in in these high leverage situations. They're not going to give you a ton of innings per se, 
but they're going to come in when the game is closed, when it's late in the game. They're going to maybe, you know, the, the setup guy is going to get you to the closer. Maybe it's it's in that kind of in-between area where it's a little bit too soon to bring the closer in because he probably can't throw that many innings. But you need something to keep you in the game until you can get to that guy for him to come in and close you out. So, you know, we all know that the NFL is a matchup league, um, but it, it it's also a situational league. And so, you know, you almost have those things almost go hand in hand. So those matchups become even more important in those situations. And so you're for me, you're you're looking for guys, obviously, who can who, who have the versatility to play in any situation. But if you can find a guy who, you know, you really see a really clearly defined role for uh, in your defense, in your offense. And you say, well, I don't know if he can do it on first, second down or this or that. But in these situations. In these situations that I can identify, I can clearly see his role. I can clearly see his fit. I kind of think that's where things are going. Carrie, let me get your thoughts on on this topic. What do you think about this this notion about first rounders having to be starters? Yeah, I think what it comes down to, um, to me, um, two of the biggest things as far as team building goes, like two key factors for me is always self-scouting and foresight. You know, just because it's only 2020 now, you know, you're making decisions with 2022 in mind. Um, you know, you always had to have that foresight, always got to be kind of looking for the future and then seeing kind of how the pieces fit and how you see things evolving over time. Um, for example, take um, Xavier McKinney. We talked about him earlier. Um, you know, people may scoff at the thought of taking him at 28. But but just sit back and think about it. Early on, he can play the second deep safety role in the dime package, which we know the Ravens like, um, you know, beside Earl Thomas. Um, he can also come up and play nickel dime back, you know, and contribute there. Then he gives you leverage going forward um, to when Earl Thomas goes into his decline and maybe you don't want to pay uh, top money to him a year down the road, two years down the road. Now you have that leverage because you have this guy on a rookie scale deal who's a legitimate um, center field free safety on your roster. You know, it's not we're not too far from removed from when the Ravens kept missing on uh, draft picks at safety, and then they had to spend money on Tony Jefferson and Eric Weddle in in back to back off season. Um, and that was off a necessity. You know, they had to pay these guys real money because they had, you know, tapped out at that position with, um, you know, draft misses and, you know, uh, Will Hill and his issues staying on the field. So, you know, people kind of, uh, you know, forget about those situations. But, you know, really any good football player and you're looking at 28 you can make the argument for a lot of different guys in that spot. Um, you know, if you're willing to have, um, you know, that foresight, um, foresight and um, if you're willing to, to self scout. So people just got to kind of open up their mind. And just because something happens, doesn't happen in media, doesn't mean there, there isn't a plan uh, going forward for a guy, um, especially if it's a younger guy who you think you just need to clean up a couple of things on him, and, you know, he's ready to contribute you know, more so in 2021 than he is in 2020. So, you know, that's that's kind of where I'm at with it. You know, people just have to be open minded. 
Yeah, and that's that's a good reminder. That 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 is a, a cautionary tale about those misses at safety. And I mean, that really goes back to Ed, right? When after Ed Reed left, I mean, they've really been trying to find that guy ever since Ed left. And and for a while there, you know, sometimes it was just players, you know, just just didn't didn't perform up to you know maybe maybe team expectations. Some of the other guys, they were showing up more on the police blotter than they were in games, <laughs> you know, so that, that just wasn't working out. Um, but I like that point about about having some 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 foresight because, yeah, you're looking at Earl Thomas right now. But, you know, maybe you get another another year of Earl at, at a high level. And, and then beyond that, you know, then, then what are you looking at? So, you know, to your point, a guy like McKinney, you know, could could really kind of come in now learn the defense, kind of work into some different roles as he's learning the defense and then maybe transition to to a bigger role uh, if, if you know, they move on from Earl um, in, in a year or two. Or, hey, you talked about 2022 20, and we're talking about safety. I'll just throw it out there now. I don't know if he's going to play two more seasons in oh. college. But USC, free safety, Isaiah Polamau. I'm telling you, number 21, <laughs> go watch this guy, right? Go watch this guy. A lot, a lot of us are uh, Michael Pittman fans, or Michael Pittman Jr., the wide receiver for USC. Uh, and so, you know, I've been watching some USC tape. And then I'm trying to think. I was I was watching some opposing offensive player. And that, that that's why I was on USC defense. And that, by the way, that's how I got to John Houston Jr. You guys said I'm making up that name. He's a real guy. Number 10 <laughs> plays linebacker <laughs> USC. So I'm watching USC's defense and I'm seeing the safety number 21, like legitimate, like NFL range, like middle of the field to the sideline, not to the numbers, not to the hash, to the sideline, picking people off I see him, you know, coming down, filling the alley on the run, not just tackling guys, stripping the ball out. I'm like, who is this dude? So I look him up, the red shirt sophomore. Um, so who knows if he plays another year, another two years, but just and I, a name and, and, a, and a player to to keep an eye on for the future. Isaiah Polamau, I may be mispronouncing his name. The, it's a hyphenated last name. It's P-O-L-A hyphen M-A-O. Um, so go check him out. But anyway. Well, I, can, I can tell you if he's if he's in the middle of the field, he's breaking on balls on the sideline. It won't be two more years. He'll be playing in the NFL in one more year. Oh, I tweeted it out. Yeah, I tweeted it out. I tweeted that that uh, that play out. I was like, this is this is legit range that you don't see uh, from from college safeties. You, you don't see it often from NFL safeties. So uh, it was impressive. Um, but anyway, it's been another great show. It's been great having Cole on. Uh, as I like to do, I like to go around and just get some closing thoughts from each of you guys. Let's start with Cole. I know I'm breaking the rotation we've had, but let's start with Cole since he's the guest. Uh, Cole, been great having you on. Like I said, I think I speak for everybody where it's been a blast. It's been really fun. We hope to get you back on. Uh, any closing thoughts that you have uh, as, as we get ready to wrap up? Um, I think I'm mostly just excited to get this draft going. Maybe it's the boredom. Maybe it's... Uh... Maybe it's just my always exciting nature before the draft, but um, I, I think we're looking at a very, 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 very interesting draft. Um, I think it's a deep class personally. I think it's a great year to have five picks in the first three rounds, seven in the first four rounds. I, you know, the amount of maneuvering that can be done um, or, you know, keeping your picks or trading back and getting more picks. Um, I just think it's going to be very exciting, and I think we're going to learn a lot about 
Eric DaCosta and, you know, what he's thinking. But not only that, I think we're going to be able to read the tea leaves a little bit um, in terms of, for example, what type of wide receiver we draft um, and how the offense may evolve. So I think we have a lot of questions right now after the end of last year. And I think um, just their approach in the draft is going to give us a lot of answers. And (laughs) I mean, a lot to speculate given the season may be delayed. So we might be speculating for eight months, but uh um, I'm looking forward to it. I, I think it's going to be it's going to be very telling, and I see this as a pivotal draft um, for the organization. Though I guess you could technically say that every year, but especially with Lamar being on his rookie deal, so I'm just excited, ready for next or two weeks from now. You hit on a point that Chris reminds me of all the time: teams cannot, teams do not lie to you about how they feel about their rosters in free agency and the draft. Yeah. They will absolutely be honest with you <laughs> by the moves that they make in free agency and the draft in terms of what they think about the state of their roster. So with that, Chris, let me get any final thoughts you had. I uh, just want to, you know, let people know to just remind people next week, we have a really, really special show coming up. Um, I'm setting it up. One, I'm setting it up. Don't give it away. I'm setting it yeah, up. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to give it away. I'm just letting people know that it's going to be really fun. And, um, you know, we hope you guys enjoy it. And um, also everybody stay safe out there. Don't go outside unless it's, you know, really important. And like always, just wash your ass. Words to live by. Right there. Words to live by. Don't walk around with a dirty (laughs) ass. Okay, you're just doing it wrong if you're not cleaning yourself back there. Anyway, Kara, uh, I don't want to put words in your mouth. This is your final thought, not my final thought. But if you wanted to use some part or any part or all of your final thought to tease a little bit about what you created, you're the creator. It's like a TV show at the end where it's created by this is this, this idea was created by Carrie Stevenson. So if you want to, you know, tease it or if you don't, if you would not, no, I ain't ready. It's up to you. Final thoughts. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's something that we're working on that, you know, we're going to finish kind of um, um, over the weekend. We're going to kind of get our final little production meeting and, uh, you know, tie up all the loose ends. Um, I'm going to make them wait. You know, I'm not going to I'm not going to let the cat out of the bag just Go yet. But like but um. What I'll say is it's something I'm very proud of. I think it's something that's going to be unique. And uh, if you enjoy the um, the draft, um, if you enjoy the you know experience of it, um, and you know you you want a little bit more, you want to kind of go a little bit deeper. I think you're really going to enjoy you know what we're about to bring because you know I don't I haven't seen it brought in the way we're about to bring it. So uh, stay tuned. That's that's what I say. Stay tuned. It's coming soon. I'm not going to spoil it either, but I will ask you this, Kerry. Will there be any Joe Exotic role play involved in this? <laughs> Is that a yes or no? Not quite, but there will be, there will be some roles played. I, I can tell you that. <laughs> we, okay. We're not going that wild, but yeah, there, there'll be some um, roles being played. Okay. For all you Tiger King fans out there or people who haven't seen it, that's a Joe Exotic Tiger King reference. Sounds like that's not on the table, so sorry to disappoint you there, but uh, we're still going to have something really fun and really exciting that does, you heard it from Carrie, that does involve role play. So definitely come back for that. Uh, I'm going to leave it there. I'm not going to add any more to that because I think we've said all that needs to be said. So uh, for me, for Chris, for Carrie, for Cole, until next time. I put my life on a lifeline. If she the gold, now would anybody doubt it? If she the gold, now would anybody doubt it? Huh. 
Do anybody got it? Do anybody got it? I say anybody got it.